Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So did you have a, a, a good kind of uh, chillax at the break? You know, you know what the word chillax means? Chilling and um, relaxed, so you just chillax. So we make up words as we go along. New English dictionary words, you know. Chillaxing. <laughs> you know, Pastor Lynn is sitting here on the front. How old are you now, Pastor Lynn? 79 in two months. You went swimming this afternoon. I know. Come stand here by me, Pastor Lynn. 70, almost 79. This is my favorite place. I mean, what a marvelous thing that God brought us together all those years ago. And we've walked, how long has it been now? That 16 years. 16 years already? 2005. Wow, I'm so I'm glad it's 16, but I'm sad it wasn't longer. Oh, it'll soon be 20. <laughs> hey? It'll be much longer than that. No, 16 years. 2005. Yeah, with me and you personally, we've been together for yeah, a long no, time. Yeah, I yeah. remember Pastor Sharon brought your sister to me many, many years ago. Yeah. Wow. 16 plus 19. 35 years. Yeah. 40 years of ministry. 40 years. Wow. Yeah, no. Sure. No, no. No, no. It doesn't mean anything, you know. <laughs> and so he's nearly 79, and uh, look how healthy he is, and look how strong he is. This is the way to live life, man. Hey, this is what the Word does for you. This is how That's for things sure. ought to be. That's for sure. Oh, the Word has fixed, made me fix my manhood. Yes. Particularly. But, but it challenges me, your manhood. Thank you. You know, because... <laughs> because he comes here in the middle of the winter without a shirt on. He's just had a swim this afternoon before he came here. So how many young men have gone for a swim this afternoon? Uh, shame on you. Shame on you. Yeah, and he's wearing cool jeans and everything. I mean, if, you, if you're 79 and you can do all that, you're in good shape. Praise the Lord. Lord. Praise, Praise God. the Lord. We love you. Love Thank you. you. Yes. This is my best place. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I trust that uh, the teaching of the Word is bringing a shift. It's bringing our hearts and our thinking to a new dimension of what we can give to God. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to just jump in here with, uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verse 18 again. And it says in verse 18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So our inheritance is not a function of performance. Our inheritance is a function of promise. 
So if you want to go back to having an inheritance, a financial breakthrough, then and you do it by performance, then you don't have a winning formula. You don't have a winning way. If you go with a promise, you have something that can elevate you in love. I dare say that if Abraham was subject to a law and the giving of the law, he might not have been known as the father of faith. Who knows? I mean, it's just speculation. But it is a wonderful thing that Abraham was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed God. Because it was about faith in God. It wasn't about his performance as a human being. And we know, we know from if you, if, you, if you have studied Abraham's life at all, we know that Abraham actually was a guy that uh, had some dodgy dealings. I mean, you know, in our modern day value system, what kind of man goes and uh, says to another king, my wife is my sister, so that he doesn't get killed by the other king. But he did. He found out that all these guys thought his wife was gorgeous and pretty and they were after, you know, and he said, well, to save my life, why don't we just say you're my sister? Uh, he did. <laughs> he did. Uh, but the Bible says, you know, hey, Maddie, beautiful gift. Thank you. Thank you. I just didn't want to forget again. Uh, you know, the Lord, I mean, he, uh, Abraham just didn't want to be in a place where he, uh, uh, he was making himself vulnerable and where he was going to put himself out there. But God said, anyway, you trusted me, you believed me, you did things, and uh, I'm going to credit that to you as righteousness. And you're going to be known as the father of faith. And still today, he's the father of faith. And we have the inheritance by God because he's our father of faith. Yeah? Without Abraham believing God, we didn't have an opportunity to be where we are. So I'm going to just share with you, I have said this before in times past, but it's worth repeating again. Uh, and I'm just going to use Abraham's life as a, as a marker if I say this. Are you all with me here this afternoon? Because tomorrow morning, this is going to launch us in tomorrow morning. There is... There is a uh, there is a God order of your life that He has predestined ways and plans that He's predestined for you to walk in. Does that mean that uh, He's going to impose His will on you? No. He's got a plan that He's got planned for your life. And he's wanting you to seek him out for that plan. So he's not hiding the plan from you. 
but he's also not forcing you to follow the plan. It's here I am. I've got the best plan for you. Seek me, pursue me. When you seek me and you pursue me, I'll reveal the plan to you step by step. I'm not going to give you the whole plan all at once. Why not? Because you'll stop seeking me. You're also going to be in danger of seeing if you can make the plan happen rather than trusting me for the plan to happen. So God has got a plan for our lives. Now, my question to you is, does he want you to follow his plan for your life or does he just want you to see him as provider? He wants you to follow his plan for your life and then he provides. So we can use faith for provision, but he would prefer us to use faith for the plan and the purpose. Then the provision comes with it. It's a much better way of living if we follow his plan and his purpose, then the provision follows the plan. Amen. I became aware uh, over time, what I'm teaching to you today It's not something that I immediately kind of had as a revelation in my life. But uh, there were markers in my life. So obviously, I was so glad to hear what happened to Eric in his early years because I didn't know that part of his life where he had an encounter with God when he was early on in his years. And for me, I mean, you've heard my story. Seven years old, I was filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And 15 years, God, old God showed up in my bedroom and called me to the ministry. And uh, there were marker moments in my life. A marker moment for me, without knowing God's plan for me, was when Pastor Sharon and I connected together and I saw the love of God, the love for God she had. And our marriage, we, we got married because we both had a passion and a love for God. I didn't marry her because she had she was a, a beauty model. And she says she married me for my money. Because I had none. We didn't marry each other for money. We didn't marry each other because uh, we had uh, both had a lot of potential to make it in life. There wasn't, we didn't marry for those reasons. We married because we liked each other. We liked the way each other was, but we also loved the way that, that God was in each other. We loved, I loved how she was connecting with God and, and she loved the fact that I was sold out for God. And that was, that was a glue that brought us together and it's a glue that holds us together. But it was a marker moment when we got married, because in the marriage, God began to reveal himself to me. And he said, I must love Sharon as Christ loves the church and give myself to loving her. And as, so there wasn't anybody's teaching out there that I was following. I mean, I wanted, I wanted a marriage that was going to be fulfilling and full of joy for me. And so I asked God how he would want me to do it so that I could have that. 
And this is how he showed me to have it. That I must give myself to loving her as Christ did for the church. And then he would cause her to be given back to me with glorious splendor without spot or blemish. And that he could do the work in her because I was the love that he could love me through to her. And so as I began to love her, the things that she had as a woman that she feared that she had bad worldview about, that a lot of people have in their marriage relationship, insecurity, fear, trust issues, will I be let down, you know. And so what happens is that if you have bring those things into marriage, strife occurs, all manner of things begin to happen, insecurity creeps in, and each one sort of starts progressively going more towards their own corner until you find yourself in your own corner and your, your adversaries, you're no longer partners. I'm already preaching good tonight. Yeah. That was a very, very important milestone for me because as I obeyed God in this, as I obeyed Him, I began to see more of who He is in this relationship than I could ever have imagined I would find out about God as I loved her the way He told me to love her. It's a beautiful thing. Another marker moment for us was when we were together and we uh, went to Cape Town for a job and came back from Cape Town. Our church had disintegrated and we were in a transition period and we came back and I, we had to find a new church. Uh, and we went to Rhema to go and have a look at what was going on at Rhema. And uh, we walked into the church and I knew this was the church we were supposed to be at. And we walked out of that church service the first day and Sharon said, I can't go back there, it's too big. And so I said to her, well, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you've got to do the work in her. It wasn't but a couple of weeks. Someone invited her to a ladies' meeting, which she didn't want to go to. <laughs> uh, because she wasn't a, a, a knitting ladies together, playing bridge and gossiping. That's not who Sharon's ever been. But this person who invited her said, no, Sharon, this is a very different ladies' meeting and you'll enjoy it. She went. When I got home that night, she told me she knew the church we were supposed to go to. <laughs> and it was Rhema. And that was a marking moment for us. It was also an amazing thing that we served in that church, lived in that church, served in that church for 19 years. In that 19-year period, we had a whole lot of things. I'm not going to go through all of those things, but progressively, God began to show me more about his plan and his purpose for our lives. And one of the very, very big marker moments was when the Lord began to deal with me. Kenneth Copeland came to South Africa in 1996 in a believers' convention, and the Lord said, serve Kenneth Copeland Ministries, take leave. I did. That's where I met Brother Jerry. no. It was the second time I'd met him, but that's where I served Brother Jerry. That's where the Lord said to me, speak to Brother Jerry and tell him that your lives are connected. I did. And then he did. And then eight, 15 months later, I left Hewlett Packard and, and, joined, the, and joined the ministry, joined him. Now, 
if I, if I had disobeyed God and not obeyed God on that conference in 1996 and spoke to Brother Jerry on that conference, I would have been late to the plan of God for my life. I'm not sure how God could have recovered that. All I want to say is I'm glad I obeyed him then. And I saw like a picture. I saw. God showed me this thing like a picture where there's, there's a, a funnel where you go down on a slide and all these parts were, were, were like on a, on a swing. And at a certain moment in time, all of these drums that were swinging in opposite directions would all be in alignment. And when I said to Brother Jerry, I believe our lives are supposed to be together, that was my moment where I jumped because the swings were all in alignment and I just went all the way down into the plan of God for my life. But when those swings swing past, they will come back together again sometime. But who, how long does it take? And the next thing is, will you recognize it the next time? Because if you say no the first time, it becomes more difficult. Not impossible, but more difficult the next time. Yeah. So what's going on? Why am I talking about all of this right now? And what's it got to do with money? Well, there are times when God wants you to sow seeds and when God wants you to do things with your money. And if you say, I'm going to think about it, no, not now. It's not the right time now. I'll do it next time God speaks. I'll do it the next time there's an opportunity. It becomes more difficult and more difficult to obey God because you keep on delaying your obedience. So I don't want to say it's not possible because anything is possible. But if you keep delaying it, then it's... Yeah. Amen. Verse 26 of Galatians says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Why? Because a child is treated like a slave. You will do that. You won't do that. No. Yes. No. Yes. You're all with me. Though he is the master of all, he's still treated like a slave. But he's, but he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. We were in bondage under the natural course of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want to read verse 3 to you from the Passion Translation. So it is with us. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. When we were juveniles, we were enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world. What are the world spirits out there? Hostile spirits. I don't care how friendly they may seem to you. I don't care how they invite you. I don't care what it looks like. They're hostile spirits because they're hostile to the ways of God. Uh, Verse 6 of the Passion Translation says, And so that we would know for sure that we are His true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, You're our true Father. Wow. I want to read it to you from the Message Translation so we get the full scope of this. Verse 3. That is why it is, it is with us. That is the way it is with us. When we were minors, we were just like slaves, ordered around by simple instructions. The tutors and administrators of this world with no say in the conduct of our own lives. Hello. How long have I been preaching this? That people who think they have a free choice to choose the world's ways have no choice at all because the world is telling you how to behave. So you're saying, okay, but if I'm not in the church then I can behave as badly as I want to behave or as well as I want to behave. Whatever the behavior I choose to behave, I can do what I want. Yes, I can do what I want. Well, if you do what you want, you're just being more of a slave because actually the world keeps giving you very simple instructions. Follow the lust of your flesh. Do what you want today. Do this now. Trigger a desire. Follow the desire. Trigger a lust, follow the lust. Trigger a habit, follow the habit. Simple instructions keep you enslaved. Simple instructions. Do this, because you're used to doing it. Do it, I do it. Suggestions, just ideas, trigger things. They just trigger it. And you think you've got a choice. All of your choices are being triggered. Simple instructions. You're not a free person. You're enslaved to your desires. (coughs) You're enslaved by lusts, by habits, by all manner of things that want to, you, that are out there that attract you. A simple instruction can just pull you. But God, He's redeemed us from simple instructions and elevate us us to level of sonship. And so when you're a son, you can be free from having to take simple instructions that enslave you to become a son that makes choices to live for him. Now, 
I'm going to just read verse 6 to you from the message translation. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa and Father. Okay. Now, if you're a son of God, are you a son of God? How did you get to be a son of God? Didn't you get to be a son of God because you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Right? So if Jesus is living in your heart, then you're a son of God. You didn't get that because you did some amazing thing. You didn't achieve some great nobility or some great excellence award. Right? You got to be a son of God because you believed. And you received. So you're a son. How do you get free from being enslaved? By being a son. You can't get free of simple instructions that keep you a slave by saying, I refuse to listen to the instructions of being a slave. Because then you're putting yourself under the law. You have to say, I receive the power from God that delivers me as a son Now I live free as a son. This is liberating. The reason it's liberating, and we're talking about money with a mission, is because when I'm a son of God, I recognize and realize that my provision comes to me because of sonship and inheritance. My provision doesn't come to me because of the way I work the system. If I want to keep working the system to get my abundance and my increase, then the system will enslave me with simple instructions. The instruction will be, you don't have enough yet. You're not secure enough yet. You have to, uh, you have to make everybody happy so you can keep earning. It just keeps holding you. If you're a son, then we are free to live the way God wants us to live. Amen. Okay. So we've got here to this point because we've talked about capability. We've talked about capacity. We've talked about energy. I was, really, I was really blessed with, uh, with Eric and Nikki and the way they shared with us this afternoon. And, uh, you know, I said to them when I was with them sometime in one of our visits in America, I said, I can understand why God would bring them to someone like Brother Jerry. Because the way that they've functioned, what you heard, their testimony, the way they functioned in a ministry in, in Michigan, you know, the way they functioned there was the way Brother Jerry would welcome someone into his ministry because that's the way he functions. And so God just brings people together that he orchestrates them to be together. This, none of these things are by coincidence. None of these things are just because they, have, uh, they live in America and they had opportunity. 
No, they had to obey God and move away from Michigan when there was no sure thing going to happen at JSMI or Heritage of Faith in Crowley. They moved by faith. I mean, they didn't touch too much on that today, but they actually moved by faith. They moved because God told them to move, not because Brother Jerry said, I've got a job for you. On the contrary, they had to work out quite a lot of stuff for quite a long time before anything really came together. Yeah. I'm not going to talk too much about that other than to say they had to move by faith because God was telling them. And so if you're a son that's walking in the instructions as a son, then God has got a plan for you to liberate you, not to keep you enslaved in another system. His system is not to enslave you. His system is to have you behave as a son. So many people think, okay, I'm giving up my system of where I'm doing one thing so that I can go and be part of another system that's going to tell me another thing. It's just another system. It's not. If you think that the two systems are equal in, in uh, opportunity and equal in, in, uh, in slavery, then you've lost the plot completely then you don't understand how the kingdom of God works. And there are, I'd go so far as to say, most people that see the church as a system that is just an alternative system to the world system, don't understand that it's not an alternative at all. They don't understand that God's way of doing things is the order of life. The enemy's way or the system's way of doing things is the order of death and enslavement. But people sometimes look at the kingdom of God and God's way of doing things and they look at the, the life that they're living and they say, I have a choice of one of either system and what's the difference between the two systems? I've still got to go to work every day. I've still got to do every day. I've still got to do. So it's just one system for another. So they look at the two systems as equal opportunity givers. In fact, there are many Christians that say, I've got more chance of making it in the world than I have in the church. Yeah. Because the kingdom of God, and I'm going to use that, the kingdom of God, the ecclesia, is an equal system to the church, to the world system in terms of opportunities. But, you know, out there I can go and apply for a job in the church, you can't. Come on. Because if you're in an ecclesia, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about an ecclesia. If you're in an ecclesia, then God has got a place for you to operate in your gift. You don't apply for an appointment. It's not a job opportunity. It's a God assignment opportunity. So to actually say they are equal opportunity givers, they're not. One is, I obey God, I step up, I step into, God maximizes. The other one is, I've got all these choices I can make, so this has got a much better scope and a much better field of opportunity for me. Hell, it all leads to slavery. It all leads to slavery. Yeah, but Pastor John, I must tell you something. I've been in this slavery system for a long time and I've done pretty well, thank you. You know, I'm financially secure. I've got a job. I've got a salary every month. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've used my money, I've used the system well, I've paid off my debts, I live debt free, and uh, no one can tell me what to do, I choose my own things to do, I do it the way I want to do it, and so I've used the system well, that tells me everything I need to know. Huh? Tells me everything I need to know, it's all about you, and so you are a slave to yourself. You don't even know that you're saying it, but you're a slave to yourself. And all the devil's got to always do is just press that button. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Be true to your independence. Be true to your debt freeness. Be true to your income. Be true to your career. Be true to the studies that you did at university to make your career happen. Be true to that. Be true to that. Be true to that. It's all pushing the buttons of self. And you just get deeper and deeper into slavery. And the world wants us to believe that that's freedom. That's not freedom. That's just someone else you don't even know or like pushing your buttons. I'd rather be like David when he missed it in his life. He said, I'd rather put my judgment in the hands of God than into the hands of men. You might not like it the way God's word challenges yourself, but let me tell you, the way that he challenges yourself is he empowers you to get free from yourself. The world system doesn't do that. It enslaves you more to yourself. You can never get free from yourself by managing the system better. You manage the system better, you slave yourself more to the system. It's not a nice thought, hey? If I had to ask anybody, would you enslave yourself on purpose to anybody? Would you take a handcuff and put a handcuff? I've got an image right now I want to I just share with you the image that I've got. Imagine you've got this degree or two or three degrees these uh you know when you when you when you get your actually you go up and they give you a degree and you get the one with a little stamp on it it says you've got a undergraduate degree a postgraduate degree a master's degree whatever and you've got your certificate yes just imagine yourself walking around with handcuffs on and you've got these certificates hanging off your handcuff in your 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 wrist wherever you go Wherever you go, these things are hanging here big and bold. Like, hey, here's my certificate of achievement. Wow, hey. You go to bed with it. You go and shower with it. You eat with it. Everything you do, this thing is handcuffed to your wrist. You know, what about... What about all of that money you've made? Why don't you put a nice big check that reflects all of the money that you made that's in your bank and carry it around with your certificates? Check how much money I've got. I'm free. Let's put the house on there. 
a nice big picture of the house. What about the car? What about the nice clothes and things that you've bought? Stack them up on the handcuff on your wrist. Huh? Carry them around like a label. Check at me. Check at me. Yeah, it's handcuffed nicely to you. It's a handcuff on you. Not you all. Generally speaking. And all of our achievements that we achieve, they all get handcuffed to you. Because it's all about what I did. Yeah? You're now more enslaved than you are free. Because the more you go down that route, the more precious these things become. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I better move on, eh? If you think I'm over-exaggerating, I'm about to read something to you. It's from Genesis chapter 11, and I'll be finished today with this, uh, ministering on this one subject for the next 15, 20 minutes. Are you all still with me? Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Ah, I wonder how much of that is still relevant today. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Who were they making a name of themselves to and for? For themselves. There was no one else to make a name for. So it was for themselves, to themselves, by themselves, with themselves. It wasn't to anybody else. It was only them there. (laughs) Yeah, Pastor Lynn says they were nameless. They were the, yeah, I mean, they were, maybe they were the original name it and claim it guys, but, (laughs) you know. Uh, certainly they said, let's make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what was important for them? It was important for them that they did something that would make them feel significant. It was that they could look at each other and say, look what we did to create something that makes us significant in each other's eyes. Because who else are they going to be significant to other than to each other? So let us make something that we can look at that says, look how significant we are. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was raised to the heavens? But on the moment of him being raised to the heavens, he was also raised on a cross to the heavens. And when everybody looked at him, when everybody looked at him, they would see transcribed on his, on his cross, King of the Jews. When they looked up at him, raised up to heaven, he said, 
Not my will, but your will be done, Father. Here I am giving my all. It's done. It's finished. When he was raised to the heavens, it wasn't so that he could be significant to himself. It was so that he could accomplish the will of the Father. Whereas the Tower of Babel was, let's raise something to the heavens that we can be significant in our own eyes to each other. And we can be scattered and go to many places, but we'll always be able to look at this monstrous thing that we've created and say, that's our true north. That's our significance right there. Look what we did. And so wherever we go, we can always come back to our true north, what we accomplished for ourselves, by ourselves, with ourselves, to ourselves. And isn't that the way that the world wants to work? Myself is the true north. Whereas God says, Jesus is our true north. Amen. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. I want you to see that God recognized their capacity. He recognized their capability and he recognized their energy. And that because they were one language and they were all unified in their own oneness, they would be able to achieve what they wanted to achieve and build this thing. And he said, can't have this. I can't have this be the statement on the earth that men have been able to achieve this. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, who's us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and, there, and from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because the Lord confused the language of, the whole, of the, all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Well, that is a recognition that there was a system at work and the system that was at work, they were unified in their intent. And if they were given over to the fullness of intent, God was making a statement that their unity, their agreement, their togetherness of purpose, they could achieve whatever they want to achieve. And I can't let men use the power of agreement to their own purpose that is against the purpose of God. So that's why if we talk about the Babylonian system, God cannot allow the Babylonian system to be the final say on the earth. He has got to reveal the church to be the final authority on the earth because Jesus is the head of the church. So he cannot, he, God, cannot allow the Babylonian system to be the final say on the earth. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. Because if we now say the Babylonian system with all its institutions of education, of all its financial institutions of, of uh, um, 
in South Africa, we've got the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. In, in, in America, you've got Wall Street. You've got the, the um, uh, NASDAQ Index. You've got the New York Stock Exchange. You've got all those kind of the Dow. You've got all those kind of places. In, you've got stock exchanges in London, in France, in Germany, in all these places. These are the financial institutions and systems of the world. Do you think God is going to let them have the final say over what happens on the earth? Work with me for a minute while I share this with you, and then we'll be done. Do you know what the World Economic Forum is? The World Economic Forum is a cooperation of very wealthy men to further their agenda for a society that they approve of on the earth. I ask you, who's authorizing them to dictate the agenda of men on the earth? Who's authorizing them? Who's giving them permission? Which government? There's no government. There's no German government, US government, British government that's authorizing them. So they do not represent a order of governing of men. They represent an order of the governance of wealth. World Economic Forum. So they are promoting an agenda of wealth that will will allow them to tell governments what they must do. So they don't want to govern. They want to tell governments how to govern. Come on, work with me. What do you think the whole new green deal, green agenda is all about? I've said this to you before from here. I've told you that this is not about stopping oil. This is about creating new technologies that other people will own that will make them more wealthy. Not because the planet is significantly under threat as everybody's telling us. It's because it will create wealth in a different field that other people haven't yet been able to get their wealth from. Alternative wealth sources. Number one. Number two, if they can impose their wealth agenda on governments through a green energy deal, they are going to be able to control people through the green agenda. Isn't that happening already? It's already happening. They are controlling governments who are controlling people's lives Because they say, if we don't act now to save the planet, no one, it will be too late. It will be too late. The earth has only got one lifespan and that's it. So all of the Western world where the traditional wealth comes from, traditional wealth, Europe, traditional wealth, America, yes, over the last Two, three hundred years. Let's just call it that time frame. Because then it'll include the United States. Let's just say the no where the known wealth and capitalism of the world is. <clears throat> I'm not saying China didn't have wealth. It's centuries older culture than the US is, and they have their own wealth system, but it's very different to the way the European and 
America's wealth system has colonized and imperialized the rest of the world. Again, I'm not trying to create a history lesson. I'm trying to just give you some context here. If we can attack the old wells and distribute the old wells into new technologies, we will create new wells in a new order that we can control that will control all people. So, what is, what is going on here? What is going on here? Is this not perhaps God's agenda rather than man's agenda? Is this not on the timetable of God that is aligning all of the necessary orders of world governments so that the time when Jesus is going to come to the earth is prepared and ready? How long is that going to be? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say 1988 because I've told you 1984 and then he wrote another book in 1985 and how wrong he was in 1984. You spoke about a guy who wrote a book in 1988. Yeah. I mean, how many people have written books about the next coming of Christ? Uh, More recently, people wrote about blood moons and all manner of other signs which they sold thousands, millions of books on because we were so interested to find out which moon is going to usher in them. <laughs> on purpose, I didn't buy the books. I saved a lot of money, thank you. I also didn't waste my time on it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bringing down the author as, as a significant person and he's... And any of them that wrote books and what they do in the church. I'm just saying that that subject is a subject that people like to talk about. They love to speculate about. They love to have all those manner of things. And none of them have ever got it right. So let's not try and make it right in another way. Let's rather say God does have a timetable. There will be a time when this all thing, all of these things happen. And uh, the longer men live on the earth, the closer we must be getting to that time. It's just a fact. There will be a time when it comes to end in the time of men. And uh, the way that things are happening on the earth now, we are very quickly heading towards a system. Are you interested in what I'm telling you now? So you remember I said the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I said, if there was one technology I really didn't want to have on the earth, it would be social media. And then I also said the next biggest threat we're going to have is going to be artificial intelligence. Yeah. So by the way, for the, my exchanges out there and the Bible school students that want to hear, you're not allowed to use artificial intelligence to create your assignment. If you're serious about God, you don't want artificial intelligence creating your assignment. Why would you want your calling to be about artificial? The key word in artificial intelligence is artificial. So why would you want your whole walk with God being about artificial? If your walk with God is not authentic. So... If you're in education out there and you wanting to get yourself a 
some kind of educational thing. Don't try and get the paper by artificial. Because what does it do for your assignment going forward? How would you like to go and visit a doctor that's got an artificial degree? (laughs) Hey doctor, I'm sick, help me. And you think, did he get his degree with artificial intelligence or is it real? Yeah, he passed his test on Google Docs with Google Workspace using GBT. Yeah, want to go to a doctor like that, right? How about someone fixing your car? Putting new brakes on your car. (laughs) Using artificial intelligence knowledge to put brakes in your car. Near donkey. Near donkey. (laughs) Hey? So, what's happening with artificial intelligence? I'm having a light-hearted moment here, but what's happening with artificial intelligence? Is it not a language of... Technology that is already beginning to, that is so pervasive on the earth that now there's a language of technology that everybody can agree at some point is going to be an international standard of communication. What about governments using digital currencies that are going to be able to monitor all of your spend and if you don't spend all of this and all of the things that are going to happen all the time, they're going to be able to control your money. Now you're sounding like one of those preachers that preach the rapture. Not if you're listening to me carefully. Because if you're listening to what I'm saying to you, there are definite signs that there is an increase and an escalation of pervasive technology like the earth has never seen. And, you know, there are things that are happening, and this has never been the case in the world till now. There are things that are happening with satellites that are roaming the earth, technology that's all over the earth, where everything that's happening in the earth is instantly available to everybody else on the earth. I've always had this mindset, people, from... From 1996, I mean, I was blessed to be in the computer industry and have a, and be in a position of leadership in the computer industry where I had shares and, and I, I mean, really, in ref, on reflection, it was such a blessing of the Lord because, because everybody was so scared of the year 2000 that for three or four years before the year 2000, everybody was buying new technology. With, the, with, with this one rider, it must be able to carry us through beyond 2000 because our old technology might not. So people spent money like crazy. Yeah, and the computer industry said, no, don't worry, keep your money. No, they said, give us your money. We'll guarantee that you won't get caught in the year 2000. Yeah. <sighs> I know Christians, very, very, very well-known Christians, even in the faith movement, that when in 1999 they told people to go and buy stuff, food, water, many things, and stockpile it, put it in bunkers, build bunkers for yourself because airplanes might fall from the sky. 
all traffic might come to a halt and the world is going to end. I'm telling you the truth. These are facts. Big, big Christian leaders told millions of people that followed them, prepare yourself. As a computer man that worked in the computer industry, I knew what the computer industry was doing and it didn't even phase me one second. Sharon will tell you. We heard all these people talking and I said, babe, it's all good. Don't worry. Let's go to sleep and wake up the next morning and say, welcome year 2000. (laughs) You know, because I knew that software had been rewritten and people were, for years and years before that, people were preparing for it from everything. Anyway, I'm not saying that there was outdated computers out there. There were, and they needed to be upgraded. I'm merely trying to say that there was a time when men said, oh, all things are going to fall out of the sky or fall down the whole world. That didn't happen. I'm being cheeky right now. I'm being cheeky. But you know, (laughs) then I'll be double cheeky. (laughs) And so I've, I mean, I've been around and I've heard all of these things. And so I'm not talking a gloom and doom story. I'm telling you that all these things till now, when chips came out on your credit card, when all these things happened, people would say to me, this is the mark of the beast, this chip on the this and the that. And I've always said, no chance. Turn the other cheek. You know, I've said, this is, not, this is not it. This is not it. I don't know exactly what it is going to be, this so-called mark of the beast. But I can tell you that there will come a time when the system will demand that you either are for them or you are not for them. And it's not going to happen if there's not a technological base to force everyone to do it and that everyone must do it. So if you're asking me, is the world heading rapidly into that area? The answer is yes. So what's that got to do with us? Well, If we have money that's got a mission, we can do God's will so that God's will gets done in the church, with the church, through the church, so that when the time is right, we are one of those that God used to to bring his order of the church on the earth because the church is the only thing, it's the only thing that God can use for his agenda. The church is the only thing. And so while we have the resource of money available and while we are on this planet with money, this is the way that God says, use it for the kingdom, not to try and make yourself safe. Because the safer you feel, the safer you are likely to just slip into the ways of the world. I feel safe here. I feel comfortable here. I'll just glide into the safety zone. If I'm yeah, if I'm there, if I'm like this, no one will mess with me. No conflict, no confrontation. I'm safe here. I'm safe here. 
I'm comfortable here. I'm safe here. I'm comfortable here. Slowly, slowly, you just get boiled. You just get boiled until it's too late. You can't escape. So you've got to make it. You've got to make a choice that you're not going to live according to the Babel system and the Babylonian system. You have to make a choice. I'm not getting in agreement with everybody that says, let's build a significance to ourselves. Let's build a tower of things to ourselves with our money, with our everything. Let us rather, you and me, let us pursue the will of God. Let us rather pursue the ways of God and let him be the one that takes care of us. This is so important for us because if you don't, if you don't take these kind of opportunities, remember those things coming together. Here's a time that's created. Jump. When you jump in, it's like going down a slippery slide in a water theme park. It's so, it's God's way of bringing you to the next baptism. Splash. I'm in the purpose of God. Here I am with God. Miss it. What do I do next? 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 Then God brings you to another time. Jump now. Jump now. No, I don't think so. I didn't do it the last time. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, oh dear, gone. Uh, that's all right. It'll come again, again. It will. But the next time is, and uh, and uh, and now you cement it to the place. Weeds have grown onto your legs. You've become comfortable here, and you're stuck. Stuck. And so, when God wants to use a church, He's not wanting to use a church of people that are stuck. He can't use the people that are stuck. He's got to use people that are mobile. You're fluid. You're, he's giving instructions. You're saying, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Yes, master. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I'll do it. I'll go. Use me. Command me. Speak to me. I'll obey. I'll go. This is me. I'm the one. I'll do it now. Yeah, but it's not comfortable. Who cares? I'm used to being uncomfortable. I'll be another uncomfortable. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, I got bruises from the last time, but you know I'm in a different place now. Do it again, God. Kick and scream. Ah! It's all right. Do it again, God. Do it again. Tell me again. Let me do some more. Ah, Pastor John, but you know, that's such a... Yeah, confusing place. No, the devil just wants to make you to believe it's confusing. God's got you. Just go with him. God's got you. He's got you. He's got you. He says, come on, walk on the water with me. Nobody's ever done that before. There's got to be a first time. Come walk, boy. Come walk. You want to defeat the system of Babel? You want to defeat the Babylonian ways? 
come walk on the water with Jesus. Come walk on the water. Oh, but Pastor John, it's so windy and it's so stormy and it's so unnatural. Exactly. That's the whole point. It's the whole point. If Peter, if everybody else could have done it without having those thoughts, they would have all got out the boat. Put a nice concrete pier under that boat. What's James and John and everybody else get out the boat and say, hey, this is safe. This is cool. Check it out. You're walking on water. No, you're not. You're walking on the cement that's beneath the water. Getting the image. The fact that there was no safety net is why Peter had the faith to walk on the water. If you're looking for a safety net in the church, it's not there. I thought the church is supposed to be a safe place. Your safety is in the Most High God. Under His wings, you are protected and you're kept there. But let me tell you, He's about kicking you out of the nest just as equally well. Get out and fly, boy. Don't hang around here thinking, I must look after you all the time. I've already given you all the power. Go! Fly! 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 Walk on the water, fly with God, go. Hallelujah. We got to be a people that's used to being uncomfortable. We got to be a used to people that's used to just, just kind of rumbling with God, you know, just getting in there with God and rumbling it out and being full of the things of God and doing the things of God and just, you know, just being there and saying, rough and tumble, I'll take it. Just give it to me, Lord. Give it to me. Give it to me. Rough and tumble. I'll take it any way you want me to take it. Yes. Just give it to me. As long as I'm with you, I got purpose. I got your plan. I'm ready to go. And look at me with that tone of voice. Huh? Are you with? Yes. Are we going together? Yes. Are we going to make it happen? Yes. Hallelujah. You warriors, you. Wonderful people, you. Look at him, he's yawning at me. <laughs> Malus, I'm just closing the service with a power moment and you're yawning at me. Come, let's stand, please. <laughs> yeah, where's my water? I throw cold water on him. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. I, I want to tell you, I made a decision a long time ago. Money, money is not going to dictate my future. Having it or not having it. Neither one of them is going to dictate my future. My walk with God, my faith in God and Him telling me what to do next, that's where I'm at. That's where my safety is in Him, following Him all the way. Hallelujah. Are you in agreement with me on this? Praise the Lord. Now, when you go to sleep tonight, ne? Ne? Now, when you go to sleep tonight, you go to sleep and you say, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Holy Spirit, speak to me, show me, guide me, lead me, because I'm with you. I'll tell you, if you just keep saying that, I'm with you, Lord, I'm with you, Lord, He's going to speak to you. And those things that He's telling you, you've got to obey. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I pray that you will sleep with the angels tonight. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You are protected by the word and the blood of Jesus. And if you're going back to Joburg tonight and coming back tomorrow, ride safely. If you're staying over, be blessed in your accommodations. May you be at peace. Hallelujah. And we'll see you in church tomorrow. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, bye. Thank <laughs> you.